Good morning, church. Uh, this mic is on mute. Next one. Okay. Hello. Good morning. Okay. All right. Is it better? Let me. Let me. Morning, church. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's so much better. Um, let me let me greet you once more in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, brethren. Please turn with me to Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one, and we are going to continue on our ongoing study. Of Colossians and for time together this morning I want us to look at verse 19 all the way to verse 23 Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 to verse 23 for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Amen. What do you do when, when you want a new cell phone or, or a new laptop? What, well, what we, we usually do is we, we ask a few questions and the main question that we ask is, what are the features? What are the features? What is it about this new phone or, or this laptop that makes it to stand apart? There's a guy on, on YouTube called Marcus Brownlee. And what he does for a living is he, he reviews technological gadgets. And he has such a big following that big companies such as Apple, Microsoft, Tesla, Huawei, make sure that they send him all the latest toys before they hit the market. And 
what he does is he does in-depth reviews. He, he doesn't just review the list of the, the specs from the website, but what he actually does is he, he uses the device for some time. And he, he gives you the, the user experience. You know, he doesn't just tell you that on the website they say that this phone has these features. He, he puts it, he puts the device under multiple tests. And then he creates a video where he reviews the device and he tells you, gives you an advice if you should spend all your hard-earned money on that device or not. And brothers and sisters, in a sense, this is what I've been trying to do. As we've looked at different passages of the gospel this year, my aim was to show you different features of salvation so you may stand firm upon the gospel. We looked at the theme of justification. We asked, how can a man be justified? A while ago, we looked at the theme of redemption. And we asked, how can a man be redeemed from sin? And today, I want us to see this other feature of salvation, the doctrine of reconciliation. Reconciliation, the Christian's unique privilege. The word reconciliation is one of the most significant and one of, one of the most descriptive features of salvation. This is a key term in the Bible. It's one of the five key ways that are used in the Bible to talk about salvation and to describe the richness of salvation in Jesus Christ. The Christian doctrine of salvation is so rich and so vast that not one word is enough. The Bible uses multiple ways to give us an essence of the richness of this doctrine. It is, it is, it is, it is our responsibility, brothers and sisters, to, to grasp these terms. And when the Bible speaks about salvation, it uses words such as justification. The Bible uses words such as redemption, forgiveness, Adoption and reconciliation. And each of these terms describe a special and fascinating nature of salvation. In justification, the sinner stands before God condemned, but is declared righteous. In redemption, the sinner stands before God as a slave and he is granted freedom. In forgiveness, the sinner stands before God as a debtor, and their debt is paid. And in adoption, the sinner stands before God as a stranger, but is made a son. And in reconciliation, a sinner stands before God as an enemy, but he becomes a friend. And in Colossians, Paul takes the false teachers head on. He's essentially saying to them, you have not seen the features. The only reason you'd want to add to Jesus Christ is because you have not seen the features and you don't understand the features of the salvation that Jesus Christ provides. And Paul's aim is to emphasize this one point, that Jesus is both supreme and sufficient. Paul's aim in Colossians is to talk to the false teachers and also talk to the Christians in the church and say, look at the features. 
Look at the features of the salvation that Jesus provides. And if you understand these features, you'd want nothing to do with those who want to add and supplement to this gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul approaches these people head on and he says, Jesus is a supreme and sufficient redeemer. And Jesus is a supreme and sufficient reconciler. Brothers and sisters, today we are looking at reconciliation, the Christian's privilege, the Christian's unique privilege. Now, this term means to change in relationship. See, reconciliation speaks about a change in relationship where people move from being enemies to becoming at peace with one another. See, when the Bible speaks about reconciliation, it speaks about the restoration of relationship between man and God. And the term that is used in our passage here is intensified. See, the term spoken about here in our passage is understood, is well understood as complete reconciliation. See, it is not just reconciliation, but it is thorough reconciliation. It is total reconciliation. Kastwana, kipwela no efeleti. O insulu, uguwiselwa, gogufumelana, ogupele. Uguwiselwa, gogufumelana, ogupele. You see, complete restoration. See, in other words, reconciliation that God creates can never be undone. You see, this means that if you are reconciled, if you are reconciled with God, you can never be his enemy again. And brothers and sisters, for our time together this morning, I want us to see four aspects of reconciliation so we can be confident to stand upon the gospel and never move. Four aspects of reconciliation so we can be confident to stand upon the gospel and never move. And let's look at the first aspect of reconciliation. It is an uncompromising reconciliation. It is an uncompromising reconciliation. Look at verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Uh, Brothers and sisters, when God reconciles man to himself, he doesn't do it based on compromises. Friends, when God provides peace, he doesn't say, oh well, forget about it. There was nothing really. God doesn't say, let bygones be bygones. God doesn't say, I know you had good intentions, but the devil made you do it. Brethren, God doesn't just sweep our sin under the carpet and say, you know what, it's not a big deal. What does our passage say? And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. See, God speaks to our condition as it is. God does not sugarcoat the situation. Reconciliation begins with addressing the elephant in the room. Reconciliation is not about sugarcoating the issue. 
See, apart from the intervention of God, we were alienated from God. This is what this passage tells us. God doesn't say we were good people and we were hanging around bad people. God doesn't say that we were victims of a bad company. God doesn't say we had good intentions, but, you know, uh, we just had a mishap here and there. The term that God uses to speak to us is that we were alienated from him. You see, this term, alien, that is used here, does not merely mean a foreigner or a refugee. See, it's a strong term. It means someone who is in opposition. It is someone who's a troublemaker. It refers to a rebel. It is someone who's in a place to cause harm. See, it's better understood in the, in the, in the plant kingdom. They talk about invasive alien plants. And, and here's a description of these invasive alien plants. They say they damage the soil. They invade an area. They change the condition of the environment. And they steal nutrients and water from other plants. Invasive alien plants and that's how we are described in Isaiah 59 but your iniquities have separated you from God your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear for your hands are stained with blood your fingers with guilt your lips have spoken falsely and your tongue mutters wicked things no one calls for justice no one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. Ephesians 2.12 Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. A man and a woman apart from God is alienated from God what Paul is essentially saying here is that as unbelievers we were, we were sinners we had a problem of the mind we had a problem of the heart and we have the problem of the hands our thoughts were vile our affections were sinful our actions were atrocious do you want to know how huge salvation is you have to start here by recognizing that you are alienated from God. You wanted nothing to do with God. It is God who moved towards you. And God did that without any compromise. God didn't make light of your sin. God didn't, uh, didn't say, for peace sake, let's forget about it. And God wants you to see your sin, to own your sin, and to repent from your sin. And brothers and sisters, if we are to attain reconciliation with God, it has to start here. By recognizing that the reconciliation that God provides is an uncompromising reconciliation. You cannot come to God with excuses. You have to come to God with repentance. It has been well said that things that don't end well usually don't start well. And you want to start well in your Christian life? You need to start here. Realize that you are a sinner who is in need of a savior. Look at your life. Measure it against God's standard. Reflect on your actions this week. Look back at your words. Look back at your thoughts. Look back at your desires. Look back at your passions. Have they always been godly? 
Have they been pure? Have they been God-centered? Have they been Christ-glorifying? Have they been exemplary? And if you struggle with the truth that God saves sinners, and that before God, apart from Christ, you are alienated, you are hostile, and you are a sinner, then look at your week. Just, Just observe at your life this past week. Were all your actions true? Were all your actions noble? All your thoughts, all your deeds, were they right, were they pure, were they lovely, were they admirable, were they excellent, and were they praiseworthy? And brothers and sisters, we exist as a church to tell people that we have hope for this universal condition. We preach the message of reconciliation, and reconciliation even to the west of sinners. But you have to start here if you want to be reconciled with God. Recognize your sin. This is an uncompromising reconciliation. And let us look at our second point. Reconciliation is costly and it requires a mediator. Reconciliation is costly and it requires a mediator. Look at the end of verse 20. Jesus makes peace by the blood of his cross. Look at verse 22. Jesus reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. See, brothers and sisters, reconciliation is costly and it requires a mediator. Just look at these statements. Jesus, mediator, makes peace by the blood of his cross, the cost. Jesus reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. Look at Jesus, mediator, reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death, the cost. Brethren, reconciliation requires a mediator and a cost. And this is a lesson that we see here from verse 20 and all the way to verse 22. You see, what was the function of the Old Testament sacrifices and rituals? The function of the Old Testament sacrifices and rituals was to show that sin is serious. Was to show that sin deserves punishment and that a mediator is required to reconcile us with God. And here are some examples, the Passover account. In Exodus chapter 12, we see here a description of the strict instructions that the Israelites were supposed to follow. And the Israelites were supposed to slaughter a lamb and marked to their doorpost with the blood of the Lamb. And on that same night, the Lord would pass through Egypt to strike the firstborn throughout Egypt and the animals. And the Israelites would escape death by the blood on the doorpost. And First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 refers to Jesus as our Passover sacrifice. See, the meaning here is that through the sacrifice of Jesus, our debt is paid. Our sin is forgiven, reconciliation is made, and we can escape death. See, another key ritual and sacrifice from the Old Testament is called the Day of Atonement. And Leviticus chapter 16 gives us details about the Day of Atonement. And on this Day of Atonement, it was a day when all of Israel would fast. All of Israel would fast, and this happened only once a year. 
And you see, this was a day of atonement where God would forgive the sins of the people and certain rituals, certain activities needed to happen in order for God to do this. And it was on this day and on this day alone that man would be permitted to enter the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was a separate place in the temple that represented the presence of God. And on this day, a priest in Israel would do two things. He would represent the entire nation before God and would make sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin. Observe how the picture of the cost and the mediator keeps appearing in these Old Testament rituals and sacrifices. The Israelites couldn't do this by themselves. The priest had to do it on their behalf, mediator. The people had to bring in an animal for sacrifice, cost. See, mediator, cost. Reconciliation between man and God requires a mediator and a cost. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it explains the day atonement as a picture that was fulfilled by Jesus Christ when it mentions that he who knew no sin was made to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. See, the New Testament continues to explain to us about the, the cost of salvation, the cost and the mediator. Hebrews chapter 9, 22, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Without the blood, without the sacrifice, without a substitute, without punishment, without the pouring out of the wrath of God, there can be no forgiveness, there can be no reconciliation. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12, it tells us that he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. First Peter chapter 1 verse 18 to 19, it tells us that you are, you are ransomed not from the futile ways you inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus speaks that for even the Son of Man came not to be saved, but to serve and to become and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, reconciliation between man and God requires a mediator. And we have that mediator, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.20 tells us Jesus makes peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus reconciled us in his body of flesh by death, mediator, and cost. True reconciliation between man and God requires a mediator and a cost. Acts 4 verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Are you here this morning? And you have not come to Christ for forgiveness. I appeal with you. Today is the day of reconciliation between you and God. Come to God. Trust in Christ. Trust, trust in, in, in Jesus Christ for reconciliation with God. Trust in the provision of God. Now what are the other features of this reconciliation? Why must we stand firm and never move? What sort of reconciliation is this? And this brings us to our third point. We have a secure reconciliation. 
we have a secure reconciliation. Let's read from verse 21 to 22. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order, that's the key, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The end of verse 22 gives us the outcomes of reconciliation that Christ gives. See, in other words, we can say, with Christ, we have a secure reconciliation. With Christ, we have an unending reconciliation. With Christ, we have a sure reconciliation. And with Christ, we have a guaranteed reconciliation. Brethren, we have a secure reconciliation. Now, what has Jesus Christ accomplished for me? Brethren, Jesus has made me holy and blameless and above reproach. How does God see me now as a Christian? Brethren, this text tells us that Jesus and God see us now as those who are holy and blameless and above reproach. What is the benefit of entrusting my entire life with Christ? Brethren, the text tells us that he will make me holy and blameless and above reproach. What does Christ uniquely provide for all who believe in him? And brethren, the text tells us that he makes them holy and blameless and above reproach. What do I do when I don't feel accepted by God? Brethren, the text tells us that Jesus makes us holy and blameless and above reproach. What do I do when I struggle with sin? I remember that I have the power to fight because Jesus has promised to make me holy and blameless and above reproach. This is a secure reconciliation that Jesus provides. Friends, this is the reconciliation that Jesus provides. It is a secure reconciliation. It is a guaranteed reconciliation. It is a sure reconciliation. We are considered by God to be holy and blameless and above reproach. Our reconciliation with God can never be threatened, can never be taken away. Our reconciliation with God is safe for this life and the next. Our reconciliation with God has no expiry date. The works of Jesus are all that we need. This is a sufficient reconciliation. This is a sure reconciliation. And that's why the text tells us. That Jesus Christ makes us as those who are holy and blameless and above reproach. And therefore, entrust yourself upon him. His work is complete. Don't listen to those who say supplement to Christ. This is a sufficient reconciliation. A hymn says, O love, that will not let me go. Oh yes, I am his forever. Brethren, this brings us to our last point. We have seen that we have an uncompromising reconciliation. We have a reconciliation that is costly and that requires a mediator. And we have a secure reconciliation. And the question is, now how do I obtain this reconciliation? How can I be sure that I have this reconciliation with God? Let us look at our next point. We have a conditional reconciliation. 
we have a conditional reconciliation. Let's, let's read from verse 22. Our key is verse 23. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you had, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. See, brethren, this is a conditional reconciliation. See, brethren, reconciliation does not happen on our own terms. Reconciliation happens on God's terms. Now, how can we know that we've been reconciled with God? Verse 23 gives us a condition. See, the idea here is that you can only be confident that you have this uncompromising, costly, and secure reconciliation if, if, and only if. What is, what is this condition? If you continue in the faith. Well, this statement is this statement has an embedded implication. It obviously means that you must be in the faith to begin with for you to continue in the faith. You must be in the faith in order to continue. So, in other words, reconciliation is only found through faith in Jesus Christ and through continuing in that faith in Jesus Christ. What the Apostle Paul is doing here is he is packing together two important doctrines in one. Paul ties up together here Christ alone and the perseverance of the saints. You see, you are sure of reconciliation if you put your faith in Christ alone and persevere in the very Christ alone. This is the condition for reconciliation. You see, what the Bible means here is that true reconciliation is only for those who can say, in Christ alone, my hope is found. True reconciliation is only for those who can say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. True reconciliation is only for those who say, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. It is for those who can say on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sin. See, if you are not saved, I'm appealing to you this morning. Come to God this way. There is no other way. There are not many ways to God. God's terms of reconciliation are exclusive. It is through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone. And for believers here, here's my word for you. Continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You see, our call as believers is not to look for things to supplement to the gospel. But our call as believers is to look at Christ and treasure him every day and see different aspects of the salvation that he has provided for us and stand upon that truth and say, in Christ alone, my hope is found. And how should we apply this sermon? First, be reconciled with God. And if, if you are not saved, 
I'm appealing with you this morning. Come to God this way. There is no other way. There's only one way to God. And God's terms of reconciliation are exclusive. Come to God this way. Romans 10, 13 says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And second, the second way to apply this sermon is proclaim reconciliation. As believers, we are to proclaim reconciliation. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It tells us that um, when you look at from verse 20, that therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled with God. And this text tells us that God has reconciled us so we, so we would be those who preach the message of reconciliation. God has reconciled us so that we are his ambassadors who preach the message of reconciliation. And third, be reconciled with others. Are there people that you're in conflict with and you don't see how both of you can be reconciled? Follow God's pattern of reconciliation. Pursue people in an uncompromising way. Be honest about what the real problem is. Be prepared for the cost of reconciliation. Prepare your heart to forgive and put Christ at the center. And that's your only hope for real reconciliation. Brothers, it must be uh, a contradiction in terms for us to proclaim that we are reconciled with God and yet we are so stiff-necked and hardened that we don't want to pursue reconciliation with other people. And fourth, the, the, the fourth way we can apply this sermon is we must remain steadfast on the gospel. Remain steadfast on the gospel. How do you remain steadfast on the gospel? You must prioritize your life around the things of the Lord. Prioritize your life around the things of the Lord. An example of this is if you have visitors on Sunday, let them know that you go to church on Sunday. Try to move things around to make time for your spiritual growth. Don't allow the, the things of the Lord to be second place in your life. You know, uh, it, it shouldn't be the case that you will come to church if nothing else comes up on Sunday. Or you, 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 you'll, you, you'll go to GC if your, your Wednesday or your Thursday plans are cancelled. Prioritize your life around the things of the Lord. And this is not legalism. This is God's way. Pursue the mature in the church and ask them to disciple you. These are practical ways that you can stand firm on the gospel and remain steadfast. Pursue the mature in the church and ask them to disciple you. Train yourself up in godly thinking and godly living. Uh, Brethren, it should be a normal thing for all of us here who are Christians to be fluent in the language of the gospel. If anyone stops you and asks you, what is justification? You need to be able to tell them what justification is. If someone asks you, what is propitiation? 
What is atonement? What is forgiveness? What is reconciliation? What is redemption? What is the gospel? Who is Jesus Christ? These are terminologies that we should not just know at the intellectual level, but these must be rooted in our hearts. And this is how you can enjoy the gospel. This is how you can enjoy Jesus Christ, by seeing his multifaceted gospel that he has provided for you, and knowing it, and enjoying it, and sharing it with other people, and being fired up in the gospel. Train yourself up in godly thinking and godly living. Well, other things is try to stay longer after the service. My, um, my father used to say, don't shoot out like a bullet after the service. Try to stay longer after the service. Invite people to your home or ask people to invite you in their homes. Uh, be honest about, about your struggles. Uh, how can you stand firm in the gospel if you're not honest about your struggles? Don't pretend to have it all figured out because we are all struggling in different ways. And let's close, brethren. I want to read verse 21 again. Uh, this entire passage again. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you had, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Amen.